Greetings. Back in L.A. Pretty, uh, pretty excited to be back here, actually. Back a couple days earlier than I thought, but that's good. You just, that's when you know it's home. When you get back and no one can get a car out of the airport and you're there for like 40 minutes and then an app, I'm not going to say Uber or Lyft. It's one of the two. He picks you up and tells you what a great deed he did for you and that he, we sat there, we talked business models. We talked about the Uber model versus the Lyft model. Some fascinating stuff. Probably can't get into either of it because I know Uber has been a big sponsor. Um, I don't know if they are or not currently, but that's just kind of the way the game works, kids. You're not supposed to just trash uh, companies. And I wouldn't be trashing them. I just There's some really interesting stuff going on with both companies that I would say, hmm, I wonder, how, wonder, what, I wonder what the future is. But you could probably read about that in Wired somewhere. So I have a review. I finally watched A Star is Born. I didn't know that was based on Jay-Z and Beyonce. That's crazy. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see that one coming. So we'll do a little spoiler alert. Star is born review. You saw it, right, Saruti? Yeah. Oh yeah. I saw it a while ago. I can't wait yeah, to right. get around to it. Uh, it doesn't strike me as a Rosillo type movie, but you know, I'm interested to hear what you said, what you have to say. I'm surprised you say that. What expand on that? Well, I don't, you, you don't strike me as a big either Bradley Cooper or Lady Gaga guy. You don't strike me as a big like music in movies guy because it, it this this was the hollywood i feel like of hollywood movies and i don't know you seem like a little bit more artsy and like a little bit you know you're you're more into the cinema of it i'm was, very artsy that was just yes. a movie for the masses like every, there's so much art I mean? inside of me exactly so yeah. i'm interested to hear what you have to say so you think it's you thought it was kind of like a cheesy I, I not rom-com but it was it was billed as that i do like bradley cooper and i respect the hell out of gaga so Retract both those statements. Okay, well, why would you think I wouldn't like Bradley Cooper? I don't know, because he's, you know... <sighs> Do you want to hear a great Bradley Cooper story? Yeah. I don't know if I'm supposed to share this or not, but I'm uh, going to. Because I don't think it's bad. It's not really bad at all. But uh, our good friend, our <laughs> our Hollywood our Hollywood friend, Michael Brandt, creator, uh, co-creator of all the Chicago stuff, who's been on the show with us, and then we had him secretly call into Van Gundy, he... A long time ago, I think was working on some big project, and he met with Bradley Cooper, and he was like, he was the coolest guy ever. So once Brant signed off on him, like Brant's my test for normalcy in Hollywood. If if Michael Brant goes, yep, he's cool, he's normal, you'd like him, then I'm I go okay. Like I seriously, I so far he's been right about you know this guy's crazy, this person's awesome. So he was meeting with him about something, and then I think it was unfortunate. Like Cooper, nobody knew who he was. He's like, man, he'd be perfect for this, but he's just, and he's like, yeah, I know you need a bigger star. Was this pre-Wedding Crashers days? <laughs> yeah, I it was, say. It was okay. pre, <laughs> it was pre-everything. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I just got myself in trouble. Sorry to Michael for that one, but it's not, I can't imagine. The, it's not revealing. What did I do? I told, I told a huge audience that Bradley Cooper's a good guy and that that's just the way it works. Like now with shows, right? Like somebody I met with goes, do you have any superhero movies? <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> And he's like, well, just find a really famous person that now, likes one of your scripts. You need at. a universe is what you need. You need to create a universe because now, you know, I recently watched, uh, what was it? The, it's not new, but the newest of the Harry Potter ones. And like it's the, it's the Potter universe. There's like the Marvel universe. There's the monsters universe, which is like that Tom Cruise thing. There's all these universes. So you just have to create a universe of things. And that's like, and even Game of Thrones is technically that because now they're going to do a million spinoffs. And it's going to be in the Game of Thrones universe. So that's what you need to be successful. You should know this. Yeah, I know, no, I, cause I read an article the other day, it says, is there a universe bubble? Which is. There has to be. I mean. <laughs> well, you know you've made it once there's, there's a question of whether or not there's a bubble. So I'll do a Star is Born review on the plane ride back west. It's, um, it's a rainy 
dreary day here in LA again. I don't know what's going on. This wasn't in the brochures. It's been the the rainiest winter, but you know what? Agriculturally, we know we needed it. You know, mudslides and all. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. Like that's the thing with LA. It's great. Like, oh, we finally need this rain, and then the guy's like, mm, mudslides. It's kind of like worst dude Wednesday or worst dude ever. Yeah. But the the meteorology worst dude ever. Like my God, you know, finally we got a clear day. Eh, smog levels up though. So um, we'll do that review. I also speaking of bubbles, I think I may get out of my off white Nike position because after walking around New York City and seeing everyone's style and then immediately going to Chicago, I think I'm out. I think I'm out. I have a few pairs that I've never worn. There's only one pair I really ever wanted, and then I sold it because I was moving, and I didn't think I deserved to own an an expensive pair of sneakers like that when I wasn't quite sure what the revenue situation was going to be. So now that we sorted through all that, I have a few pairs, but I don't know. So all right, we'll do all that (laughs) after. This is a long, yeah, this is a long intro. How many, how many minutes are we in on this intro? Oh, that's it? Yeah, it's not bad. We've, we've done Anything worse. that you need to add? What about the magic minute? Uh, you know, it's a, you know, I feel like I've been proven right and wrong at the same time. Uh, the magic okay. continue be to beat good teams and lose to the worst teams in the league. It's, it's unbelievable. So I still think they're going to make the playoffs and I still think they might be annoying, but they might not make the playoffs. <laughs> Especially if you keep losing to the Grizzlies. <laughs> God, that was funny. That was really funny the way you did that. Okay. All right. So that, I feel like you just did it. Yeah, magic 10 seconds. There you go. Do we have any sound effects for that or no? Uh, we can add it in post-edit. Yeah, post-edit. Why don't you throw something in there and post-edit? Okay, that, and I'm going to do a little on this Lakers thing just because it is still topical. Okay, speaking of when the weather gets colder, you know that's when you start moving the fun indoors, right? Is there anything better than curling up on the couch with some great bottles of wine? Personalized to you from First Leaf Wine Club. You guys know how this stuff works. They figure out what you like. You may not even know what you like. And then they send you stuff. And if you like it, it's great. And if you don't, they take care of it. And boom, you're an explorer, essentially. You are the Magellan of Wines. First Leaf has created a club experience customized to you. By rating the wine you receive, First Leaf determines your likes and dislikes and only sends wines that you'll love. Get started by answering three quick questions about your wine drinking preferences. First Leaf then creates an introductory six-pack of wine for you. When your bottles arrive, test, rate, and review them Okay, online. First Leaf takes your ratings, selects new wines based on your taste for your next shipment. Sign up with my link, and you'll get an exclusive intro offer. Six bottles of wine for only $29.95, plus free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com. That's tryfirstleaf.com slash russillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. That's six bottles of wine for only $29.95, plus free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com slash russillo. I want to talk LeBron and I want to talk Lakers just because it actually is that important and it it is tap you know topical and everything we did last week on get up some of the stuff I go yeah you know this is the thing that I was trying to allude to weeks ago that this is uncharted territory for LeBron he's going to miss the playoffs for the first time in a decade and a half he's in a tougher city and it's not going to go over as well and now people are starting to point out the stuff about LeBron that isn't great as a teammate all the stuff that existed before in Miami uh, the stuff that existed in Cleveland, certainly, more so Cleveland than Miami, and then the level of effort, despite the fact the guy can still put up huge numbers, and he, he put up big numbers in that loss against Boston. If this team, you know, when they were put together, I feel consistent about the whole, I don't know how great this team is going to be when they're four and five seed territory. I'm like, man, this is kind of crazy. Some people think it's because of the schedule. Um, 
you know, if he doesn't get hurt, they're probably in the playoffs. But now it's such a disaster. I think people do some math and say, well, if he had gone, you know, they've had this record or he had hadn't missed any games, but they played like they're playing in the second half of the season. It's no lock they're even in the playoffs. I don't This whole thing's such a disaster now. Lonzo not coming back. Ingram shutting it down. It depends on what you believe there. I do think that there's some real animosity from the younger group of guys towards LeBron being like, this, this sucks. Like, it's cool that, that you're you and all, but there's no, there's no team. This doesn't feel like team. And that's one of the things that I've had an issue with LeBron in the past is that you need to be more collaborative, especially now when you're basically a little bit more desperate because this next generation of players aren't going to look at you the same way. But I think, Sarudi, what this keeps getting back to is kind of that bet that you want to make and the, the Will Kane position that I initially was like, you gotta be kidding me, where he's like, LeBron's a bad teammate, makes players worse. That I still think is was wrong based on his argument, like the examples that he used. But I'm sure now he's taking a victory lap any single time he can on another guy maybe not going there. And I feel like whatever that net was of who the players were that were acceptable to be LeBron's running mate, that net is a lot wider. And it has to be out of necessity for this summer because I don't think they can be as picky because this whole thing has been like, okay, this is a bad year. I don't want to get into the legacy thing too much because, yes, this year right now is really bad. But what are you going to do, drop them behind a couple guys all time and then put them back up if this team puts some kind of run together? So there's like a lot of different things going on. Like I think he deserves criticism for not not being as great of a teammate with this group. But I understand like based on his history, he's never liked young guys. He's never wanted to be with young guys. And then NBA players, I don't care how good of an NBA player you are, you always kind of overrate some of the other guys in the league until you actually play with them. I mean, you could underrate them too, but a lot of these guys are like, oh, I definitely want to play with this guy. We're like, oh, I've always wanted to play with this guy. And then you're playing with them and you go, oh, wait. And that's how sometimes us from the outside, even though we have never played at that level, don't understand the game at their level, we can have better perspective because we're actually watching these guys consistently all the time and we're not letting Instagram influence, hey, man, we're buddies. On Instagram, we DM all the time. I want to play with him. Like, I don't have that going on. So, I, the whole year is an F, okay? The whole year is an F. I don't know that Magic and Palinka deserve an F because it's like, wait a minute, so they're going to get an F even though they actually brought in LeBron this offseason? Like, that seems a little harsh to me. Um, you know, we could do all the blame pie stuff that we we're kind of joking about on Simmons' podcast last week, but it just feels like so many people are ready to crush him and, you know, that's always the thing about all these conversations. Be like, there's a lot of stuff I don't like, but I don't, I don't know that I'm ready to go. Yep. Total failure. What a disaster. Let's just crush this guy every single day. Like I'm pointing out basketball stuff. I'm pointing out teammate stuff, but I mean, are we like, I think the real question is, do you get to the point where you go, if you were another team in now, look, he's signed up for three more years. So it doesn't really matter. But if you were another team, do you look at the situation and go be like, you know what? I'd rather not have him. Now, of course, there's a couple teams, like, there's Bucks fans being like, you know what, we're good. We're like, well, of course you're good. You're, you guys are awesome and you're the one seed. So, you know, that's, that's not really your thing. But, um, there's just a lot, a lot going on with this guy. And I think some of it's totally, I basically, I think the stuff I bring up is fair. And I think some of the other stuff that feels like, okay, here comes the mob. That part is kind of ridiculous. Like when I read that stuff from Plachke, being like, he never ingratiated himself with true Lakers fans. What was he supposed to do? Like go to Tito's Tacos and start like three days a week? Hey, everybody, it's LeBron. Just want to make sure you guys know I'm ingratiating myself with Lakers fans here. Like that is a playing the results thing after the fact. He was 
always going to meet with executives. He was always going to get dinner with DiCaprio types. He was always going to do those things. And because he did those things, it's not why the Lakers are out of the playoffs. Yeah, I 100% agree. I don't think, I, I think they can be separate though. I think he could have screwed up sort of the relationship with Lakers fans by one, just not winning first off, first and foremost. But I think a lot of people obviously question, oh, he's, he, is he really invested in the basketball product? And I, I think, I think we're only asking that question because they're not in the playoffs and because they've struggled this year. But Absolutely. I'm with, but I'm with you. Like, I don't think this is the, you know, obviously this year is an F. It was a complete failure, but I sort of look at it like I look, cause I've had this argument a million times with Will as well about Kirk Cousins. Like, yeah, the year, year one was a failure. It doesn't mean that they should regret signing Kirk Cousins yet. Yeah, it's a three year deal. They could still make the playoffs and make a run next year or win a Super Bowl in the next two years. I feel the same way that I feel about that with LeBron. They can get a superstar next year, and then and then who knows? The whole new year, the Warriors are probably going to be a different team. The, the league is going to come back down to earth a little bit, and who knows? This could be a completely different team and situation that we're talking about next year. The one thing that I think is pretty funny is that like I feel like everyone is blaming the Anthony Davis pursuit, and Jeannie Buss was ridiculously trying to say that, that it was the media's fault, that, that like this ruined the locker room. That was so ridiculous. That is so I mean. absurd. And not only is it absurd, but that you're, you're telling me that all these guys, like the Ingrams, the, the Kuzma, Ball, Hart, all these guys really thought that they were going to be there for the long run? Because as soon as LeBron got there, you were on the trade block. So that all of a sudden just like made... like I, I can't believe in the first place they thought that LeBron was going to be their boy and they were going to be there forever. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I do think okay, that LeBron just doesn't relate to any of these guys. Just to jump in there, though, I don't know that it really kicks in how temporary you are until it's real. So in the beginning of the year, when you're playing together and he's saying all the right things and, you know, he's trying to, he's new. I mean, we all know how we're all different the first year of marriage, first month of marriage, than we are a little bit later on. We're all a little different on the first few dates than once you actually get a little settled and you try to figure out, like, who's got the control in this relationship. So I don't know that it was day one bad. Because the product wasn't day one bad on the floor, but I don't know. I think what it kicks in for those guys is when LeBron is not like this. From what I've heard, there's a real separation from the young guys and him where he kind of like, I don't know that it's, he's too good for them or, or what it is, but like some of the stuff I hear, there's just a real detachment. Like they're looking at him like, like the dad that has custody on the weekend sometimes, <laughs> you know? You're like, oh, hey, what's up, Dad? Like, all right, cool. But that's so like, funny because oh. all of them were trying to, you know, Kuzma and Hart, like all those guys were all up in LeBron's Instagram, you know. Um, yeah, because it's LeBron, LeBron and now he's your teammate. How awesome he is and how cool everything is, and then all, you know, all of a sudden it changes. But LeBron was never going to play with all these young guys. Like he was, like it just wasn't going to work. He he doesn't want that. And no, it, he's never wanted that. You're and their right, timeline I, is so off. But I don't know that it's real until you actually find out in all these yeah. NBA circles of, hey, yeah, dude, you're being offered. And like, whoa, just tweeting that you're being offered again. And now you're involved in it too. And now all of you guys are involved in it. And so even though, you know, Magic said you guys are going to stop treating these guys like babies, that's fine too. Like, yeah. Like, like there's times where I can do both. You know what I mean? Like it sucks to be traded. It would suck in basketball and baseball to be traded. You know, you gotta tell your wife, you move, you know, my buddy who was traded, um, from the Avalanche to the Kings, Aaron Miller, who I've mentioned a couple times, it was awful. You know, his, his wife didn't want to leave Colorado. He, he, you know, he was having kids. And like, there's a real, if you apply that to the real world where it's like all of a sudden ESPN traded me to an affiliate in Minnesota, shout out to Minneapolis. And then I have to tell my wife and, and take my kids out of school. Like, yes, that, that part of it sucks. 
And if you are a young player in the Lakers and it's constantly part of your life, these rumors for weeks, but that's what the money's for. You know, so exactly. I yeah, can, exactly. I can do both things. I can, I can sympathize with how terrible and frustrating and annoying that would be, but then it would be like, yes, but would you rather do a different job? And the answer to that is always no. So it's all fractured now. I don't know really what's going on with Ingram. Part of me feels like these guys are kind of shutting it down because it's like LeBron's shutting it down. All right, load management. Like, I'm going to shut it down too. What's up with his dad too, by the way? There's all these rumors about his dad behind the scenes, apparently like, you know, saying he doesn't, he doesn't, cause I, I, I think, don't know enough about that. I know I Stephen Palenka, A kind of dropped that last week yeah, on TV. But. And I think Palinka and Magic are sort of getting, you know, some heat for this as well as just roster construction and how they sort of handle this whole thing. But I don't know. I, I, I mean, there's, can they well, just you can't do it this way. next year? <laughs> like, no, no, this, this is a, this is a lesson. You cannot have 11 guys or so all worried about the next thing. You can't. You just can't. And it was one of the first things that, I had ever learned talking to front offices and it was really smart. It was Chris Wallace. We were on a plane ride to Portsmouth, Virginia for the Port- Portsmouth Invitational. We were just, I was asking like, how do you, how do you look to build teams? I didn't really even know what the hell I was asking. I just was psyched. I had a seat next to him on a plane. So he stuck next to me the whole time and he was really, really nice. But one of the things he said, he goes, you know, it's about eight or nine. He goes, and the rest of the team has to know like you're never playing or you're a development guy that's never playing. And you have all those guys in the city and trying to do this this way with the LeBron part of it. So I don't know if there's a perfect way to summarize the whole thing other than there are real challenges playing with him. And sometimes the challenge of playing with LeBron actually hurts LeBron. And I think he needs to be more aware of that. And maybe he will be uh, the second time around. I can't wait for whatever this roster looks like next year. He is going to absolutely overdo the this is a family. We are so tight. Like they're going to do a total 180 on how the message of this season is closing. Like that's going to be a const- maybe it'll be real, but it'll likely be constructed on how just everything is awesome. I don't know who they're going to get. I don't. As you look at all these young guys shutting it down and everything, you're like, is this package still enticing enough? Is this Lakers front office negotiating with a Pelicans front office that we have any idea what it's going to look like right now? Probably not. Um, do the Celtics involve themselves? Because if they lose Kyrie, I don't think they trade Tatum now for one year. Anthony Davis, at least it wouldn't make any sense to me to do go ahead and do that kind of thing. Does Anthony Davis go even more nuclear on this thing with Rich Paul, where he just starts banging the drum on, do not trade for me, don't pull a Kawhi in Toronto, don't even bother doing that because I'm only re-signing with the Lakers. Does Davis want to re-sign? You know, does he really want to go there? Again, but your point has always been a great one. Why would you sign with Clutch if you weren't willing to sign on and hook up with LeBron? You know, or does this end up being... Jimmy Butler can't find another team to give him a max. The Lakers are desperate. LeBron's like, screw it. Jimmy Butler's good enough. And then Jimmy Butler's on the team, and they win enough games to make the playoffs, and he never even sniffs a championship again. I mean, all of these things, to me, are in play. And the other one of he's just going to go over the next three years, and no one ever is going to join him that's any good? I don't know. I, that, that, one seems, that one seems a little tougher, but... I just, I'm not ready a year of evidence with one off season and one trade deadline of him not having another player next to him, meaning that forever he is, you know, he's going to be waiting on his son to play in the league and that's going to be the first, you know what I mean? So, uh, all of this stuff seems to be in play, even if I don't agree with all of it. But to Van Gundy's point about, you know, <laughs> you got to look to, you know, trade anybody on the roster, including LeBron. If they do strike out this summer and even if Anthony Davis does want to come there and the Pelicans just say, Hey, we're not trading him to you. Like that's just what we're not going to do. And you have to wait a whole nother year. I mean, that's a disaster. I mean, th- then you're looking at like, what is LeBron to another year from now? You know? 
Yeah, just think how spoiled he is because of how everything went in the past. Hey, D Wade, call Bosch. Yeah, when we go to Miami. Or, all right, you know what? Kyrie's pretty good. I'll just go back there and they have the number one pick. <laughs> you know, that's why, that's why I've said all along, I think, I think these guys, when they started the season, they were like, wait a minute, what? What happened? <laughs> this, this wasn't, this wasn't the plan. Uh, but Simmons and I disagree with that. He thinks that, that LeBron was in on every single signing and, and rubber stamped every one of them. And I'm sure most people listening to this podcast would agree with Bill. So, um, and disagree with me on that. So that's cool. Let's, uh, let's talk to Daniel Jeremiah right now. This is the fanciest bio that I think I've, um, I've had for any of our guests. So we're really excited about it. Daniel Jeremiah is an NFL network analyst and you can follow him on Twitter at move the sticks. NFL network will provide coverage of Kyler Murray's pro day on Wednesday as part of NFL free agency frenzy, which starts at 10 a.m. Eastern time. That is impressive, man. Did you, is that a publicist or did you send that? Well, you know, I would say, I would, what's plural for publicist? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just one publicist, right? I mean, let's not let's not undersell this thing here. Yeah, you know what? Really, really good point. Um, thanks, man. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Would you do some uh, draft stuff? Maybe a little bit of a story uh, on your years in the front office with with some teams. But the Antonio Brown thing goes down, and it feels like I had a couple different thoughts on this. That you know, initially. I know like Bill Barnwell and I were going back and forth in January and I was kind of like, you know, I just think that these contracts are more movable. There's dead money that you can handle a little bit more. I feel like the the increase of the cap dramatically in just a very short amount of time has expanded the flexibility on teams being able to do some of this stuff. So can you address that and then also kind of tell me what you think was going on here behind, behind the scenes with Pittsburgh kind of having to just wave the white flag on this one eventually and then Oakland pursuing him? Yeah, I mean, you're right on the uh, on the space at just how much freedom it's, it's given a lot of these teams. I can't remember a year, you know, that list comes out every year before free agency of who has the most who has the most room, and it wasn't that long ago where you'd see you know three or four teams have you know fifteen, twenty, thirty million, and now there's a boatload of teams with all kinds of space, so it creates a lot of freedom for these teams to be creative, and and you're not stuck. Um, but this was, from the Pittsburgh standpoint, I mean, it's, gosh, it's, it, at some point in time, I just think that they put a price tag on, on, uh, on a drama free team. But man, that is, that, that can't, that, uh, that couldn't have been fun to, to push that trade through, knowing, you know, the type of player you're giving up. I mean, obviously, factor all this stuff in, but just the player you're getting up versus the compensation coming your way, um, man, it is, that is, is very lopsided. So I, running in different circles here in L.A., I think the timeline of this is really interesting based on some of the information that I had in that, okay, Brown wants out, right? We, we know the drama of leading up to Week 17. If if you believe Antonio Brown coming in saying, hey, I'm ready to go, and Tomlin just blamed, just was like, no, you should go home, like that's, you're an idiot if you believe that, like that there was no backstory. Like people that yeah. have argued – I understand people defending Antonio Brown, but if you use that as part of the defense, you're a moron and I don't want to listen to you anymore. Okay? Because it's just, there's no way Tom would be like, you know what? There's no, there's no other part of the story. I just would rather not have you this week. Go home. Because <laughs> that's what Brown is selling. Um, but it was like Brown, it almost felt like as he was discovering this power or, or path to freedom, it was like, oh, by the way, I want a new contract. So then that changed the market. And when the Buffalo thing happened, 
I had heard weeks prior that he was like, wait a minute, I don't want to do that. I want to go to Buffalo. And then what can I do about this? <laughs> you know? And it, so I, I, I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't the most, it didn't seem like the most, um, advanced version of, of forcing your way out from Antonio. Yeah, but again, though, it's just you, you have to just find one. You just have to have one team on that. I mean, the, the, the thing that's so unique about that situation, anybody else who tries to pull what he pulled off uh, without his, you know, playing resume, I mean, you, you're getting laughed at. Like, nothing's happening. You know, you're stuck. Uh, but he, he only needed one team that was willing to do that. Now, I did hear that there were some other teams that were involved in the mix that uh, – you know, there was a chance he might have even played on his current deal with a particular team, uh, but they couldn't agree on on compensation for trade. You know, for the trade value. So um, it was. I, I can't remember anything close to it. The only thing I can could tell you, you know, we we're talking about some of those stories. You know, been around some some weird situations. I was in Baltimore, and people forget about this one. We traded for Terrell Owens, and there I was do remember that. 15, yeah. There was like fifteen minutes of excitement. Until Ozzy got T.O. on the phone, and then I was I was literally right outside Ozzy's office, and I heard you know what I thought was going to be a jubilant phone call, and it did not go well. Um, okay, so wait, then, can we can we back that up a little bit? All right, so you're working with the Ravens. T.O. absolutely wants out of uh, San Francisco, right? Correct. And yep. he wanted to go to Philadelphia, but he still had time left on his contract. So as you were discussing it internally in the front office, like take us from the beginning of that to that phone call because I need more backstory on that. Yeah, no, look, I was I was young. I had just gotten there, so I was not involved in the upper level meetings, but I knew that we were we were aggressively trying to get that done. Um and trying to bring him in and somebody that we thought would make a you know, a huge difference for our team that was so defensive dominant at that point in time. Uh pair him up with Jamal Lewis in our running game. We thought it would just be, you know, this guy could take us, you know, right to the Super Bowl with the roster that we had. And so that was something that you know they worked on and diligently Got done, and there, I'm not. I'm not kidding. There were literally. It was the news came out. We were high fiving around the building, and we were in the old facility. Now the Ravens have this beautiful, you know, castle. Uh, but back in the day, it was this old, rundown facility, and there was like I had like it was really like an open air cubicle right outside Ozzy's office, and I'm sitting out there. His door's open, and I hear him. You know, uh, you know hey Tio. Then all of a sudden. No, you've got it wrong. No, no, no. And it was like this this argument taking place on the phone. And he was, you know, obviously T.O. was adamant he was not going to come. Um, and so then they end up filing the, when he filed a grievance, and then he was yeah. able to kind of force his way to Philadelphia where he wanted to be. So uh, it was bizarre. And part of that was, it wasn't that he just wanted the new contract, which he got, right, from Philadelphia. He just, he, he wanted McNabb, to go play with Donovan. Yeah, he and McNabb. And the funniest thing is, is that I said this on the podcast. Right, because my thing, you know, I made the joke before I'd made about NBA guys is they all think they're buddies until they actually hang out, and that was a perfect example of it because they couldn't stand each other at the end of it, right? Yeah, no, exactly. It was it played out very publicly, but he got a nice, he got a big contract there, and and uh, he knew that I was with Andy Reid, they were going to throw the ball successfully, and we were a kind of a, a ground and pound type team, so uh, it was. Uh, it was interesting, but that was a case of a of a player really kind of flexing his muscle and, and trying to use every weapon he had to, to get where he wanted to go. And that's, you know, there's very few times where that's been successful. And uh, and Antonio Brown just pulled it off. So why do you think the Raiders did it then? They're averaging 18 points a game in a division with the Kansas City Chiefs are averaging 35 points a game. 
uh, you've got to find a way to be more explosive. You have no shot. Uh, so, you know, I think that the, well, I know the Chiefs are number one in the league in scoring. The Chargers are tied for sixth. Uh, they had no, they had no ammunition. Plus, when you move on from superstar player like Khalil Mack, I'll even put Amari Cooper to the side. Uh, but when you move on from Khalil Mack, with all that you've picked up, you know, in, in draft capital and, and room and all that kind of stuff, you you got to have some shiny toys to show for it. You know, it, it, like you can say, just go out and draft good, solid football players. But there's a uh, there's an image side of this thing too. You know, hey, we gave up a superstar. We've got to bring in a superstar um, to try and balance this thing out. And I think that's when you look at you know we'll see what they can do in the draft. They can get a big time guy at number four. Um, then we're going to be able to compare. You know, okay, you've got Antonio Brown and whatever defensive player more than likely you get at number four to compare with Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper going forward, both financially and production-wise. Uh, and then the Raiders will have some, some extra picks on top of that. So that's how they're going to be judged. Where are you with um, with Gruden? Because he – I didn't realize how many people were ready to pounce on him. I wasn't always a huge fan because I felt like he would openly campaign for jobs while he was the highest-paid employee at ESPN. Um, but that's part of it. I mean, I, I get the leverage part of it, so I can't be totally oblivious to it all. Um, yeah. but then he goes there, and everybody is just out for him. I, are you are you as anti Gruden as everybody else seems to be? I, I'm not. You know, I'm not. It, look, it, to me, it's look. There's going to be an adjustment period. He'd been out for so long. I've never I've never had anything but good things to say about John Gruden, the uh, the coach. You know where you get in troubles with the personnel. You know, so that's why it's going to be interesting to see. You know, how does that how does that work with with Mike going forward, and how's their relationship? And obviously, when you look at the the salary that Gruden's making, we know he has all the control. Uh, but you know, I'd be hopeful that he'd listen to some folks around him and and not be so stubborn when it came to personnel. Uh, because that look, it's the same thing that was that was Shanahan's problem. If Shanahan would have just been the coach and not and not picked up the personnel duties. You know, he, he might go down as one of the greatest coaches of all time uh, because he was so good game day coaching. I still think John Gruden knows how to draw plays. I still think he knows how to call plays. Um, I think personality wise, he can he can mesh uh, with the with the younger generations coming up right now. I I think those things are fine. What what just scares me is in the past the personnel stuff has got him. If you were running the team, all right. No, let me put it this way. Because I want to talk about Kyler, I want to talk about the top of the draft and all that stuff, and quarterbacks in general. Because you know, I used to think I kind of knew what a guy looked like that was going to be a pro quarterback, and yeah. even then, even then, I got it wrong a lot. Like Wright Thompson has that piece up that's really good from the scouting combine, and basically, like a front office guy sitting there just going, we're, "You know, we're not that good at it." And people love people love to believe that you know when you worked in front office or anybody that's working in front office now that they're all idiots, which isn't fair. Um, I, there's always kind of this thing where it's it's like they want to know more about, or they, they hope you screw up so they maybe feel better about the way they see football themselves or sports <laughs> in general. No, I'm serious. Like I've always, I always think there's some kind of weird connection there, but now I'm, I'm, I can't tell if I'm giving up on trying to figure out what a pro quarterback looks like. Uh, cause, cause that feels safer than trying to pretend I know all the time. So if you were like, Hey, Daniel, we love watching you on TV. We've been watching for years. We want you to be the GM of our team. Here's your first meeting with ownership and tell us how you see the quarterback position if you were going to be running this organization. Yeah. I mean, look, it to me in this draft, I, it doesn't stack up favorably to last, uh, for me. 
you know, when you compare these quarterbacks, but I would have Kyler as the top one. Uh, if I'd have told you five years ago, or if you'd have told me that I'd be, um, you know, stumping for a five foot ten quarterback as the number one quarterback in a draft class, I'd have said you're crazy. Uh, but the way it's played right now, the way the game has opened up, not only creating spacing, you know, uh, horizontally, being able to spread people out, but also with with a guy like Kyler, we've seen the blueprint with Russell where you can create space and off-play action just in the depth. You know, you got to have a huge arm to do that. But off-play action, you can create some distance between yourself and the line of scrimmage to help him be able to see a little bit better. Um, it's been done. So that, to me, is is open the door for him. And when I compare him with, with Haskins, Haskins, look, if you, if, you can, if you tell me you've got, you know, three, three pro bowlers and two serviceable linemen and you can keep him clean – um, he's got a chance to be really, really good because when he's got time and space, he can make every throw. It's just um, it's the game's not really played that way. And most young quarterbacks that have been successful over the last really decade, they've been able to get themselves out of some trouble um, as they're learning and growing. You get some free rushers that you'll be able to pick that up mentally when you're in your seventh year. But when you're early on, you got to have your feet be able to bail you out some of that some of that trouble and. I just don't know he's going to be able to do that. So that's why I would have uh, I would have Kyler over him. But man, when you uh, when you look at the the group we had last year, I, w- I would put these guys behind those first three for sure. Well, that's a good way of doing this because all right, we're less than fifty days out, and when I think about the strategy of a front office and how they want information to get out, I go, why would they be so obvious about this? Like if Arizona sits down and it's Steve and it's Cliff, and they go, you know what, we just like Kyler better than Josh. We know we invested the 10th pick in him, but we don't, like, we just, if that's how you feel about the guy, then I have no issue with you. Go ahead. If you're that in love with him, go ahead and take him, worry about the rest of the stuff later. But to have it all be out, it's either just because it's so obvious that you like him, or are you trying to create this frenzied market for either Murray or a Rosen in a trade where I think there's a real problem there, not because what I think Rosen is worth, because I still like him, but because you only have so many teams that maybe need a quarterback. So, when you're in a front office, like are they just this obvious and bad at keeping the secret, or is this a play almost two months out? Because I always like my instincts are always that this feels like some sort of ploy to create all this hysteria around them having the pick or a quarterback people would want a year after he was drafted. My my problem with the theory um, that you're just trying to drive up interest in the pick, and uh, you know, look, we're, you're, you're trying to see if you can convince somebody to come up there and go get Kyler Murray, and you were all, always committed to. Josh Rosen. My only thing on that, and I don't know this, um, I sure hope they can they had that conversation with Josh Rosen <laughs> yeah, right. early on in the process. Because, man, you talk about there's nothing more fragile than a young quarterback, especially a young quarterback that one year in has not had success. And now you've got his name floating around in trade rumors. And, you know, do they believe in you going forward? Uh, people think that's hokey, but that's you can destroy a dude's confidence like that. And especially when he comes into the building, you know, you look around the room and everybody in the room looking at you like, man, I don't even know if they even believe in you, you know, like that, that's going to destroy your credibility in your own locker room. So that just seems like a goofy strategy to me. If that's what they're doing, you know, Hey, maybe they're, they're smarter than I am on that one. But uh, to me, I'd be, if you're committed to Josh Rosen, you're not going to take Kyler Murray. And you know that, uh, I'd be public in my support for Josh, and I'd be working like heck in uh, in free agency in the draft, trying to build up around him and support him and uh, and give him every opportunity to be successful. I, I don't know that 
you know, whether it's fake or not, but questioning and using qualifiers when you're talking about your, your young starting quarterback is the best way to go. Yeah, that would be brutal. That would be a, hey, Josh, we, you're going to be in the rumor mill every day now for two months, but we love you. We absolutely yeah, love earmuffs. you. Yeah, earmuffs. Just earmuffs for two months, dude. Go on vacation. Uh, Where are you yeah, on Rosen? That, that just seems like goofy. Like, just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't, just don't think that's a smart strategy. Yeah, Rosen would have to be even tougher mentally than, than anybody could imagine, especially at that age. Where are you with him as a quarterback? Would you be trying to make a play for him if you were in another front office? Heck, yeah, I would. I mean, I, to me, I just look at how talented he is as a thrower. And a little bit like Haskins, he's, he's going to be dependent on what's in front of him. He's not the most mobile guy. I think he's a little bit better athlete, though, uh, than Dwayne. Uh, but to me, dude, he's, he's, he's smart. He can make every single throw. Um, he's got, I mean, it's his, it's teaching tape watching him throw the football. I mean, it's beautiful. And you mix into that the cost control. I mean, it costs you nothing in terms of the money at the position. Uh, for the next several years, your quarterbacks cost you nothing, which gives you the freedom to build up around him. Um, to me, it, shoot, if people were talking about he'd only get a third-round pick for him. And I'm like, dude, there must be something, some terrible news out there on this kid that I'm not aware of because that's that's crazy to me if that's all that would cost to get him. I thought for sure um, you're getting a one from somebody. I mean, shoot, look at uh, look at New England. I mean, New England, just bring him in and um, you don't have to play for the next couple of years. I'd give you the 30-second pick for him all day long. You'd have a, a payoff and have a quarterback for 15 years once Brady's done. Yeah, the third round pick thing. I I have to admit, when I read that, I'm like, this is so stupid. And I'm not. I'm like, what am I Peter, missing? I'm not knocking Nobody? Peter King, but Peter King like got one guy to say third rounder. Then it ran because it's Peter. Everybody ran with it. And now, I don't know if other people have had the third rounder. So maybe maybe it's more than just one thing. But um, I also know that I liked him coming out because I thought he made the most pro throws. I thought the way he read defenses, even though it's limited in college. Um, I, I could just tell, like he would, he would see certain things. I mean, there's just a couple games, and I, I've mentioned this before with the podcast listeners, but you could see that he knew what was happening ahead of time on the pre-snap read, and he's like, "All right, I'm going to get killed here, but I'm going to stay in and make this throw." And I'm like, "Man, that does, that looks like a Sunday guy, like that kind of stuff." Like I love that from him, um, and I'm not even talking about just the arm talent. Then the detractors want to point to the record. Well, that defense was terrible, and they had a million injuries. But the thing that I can't account for is I'm not around the team, and one of my favorite things when you get to hang out with guys that played, and that happens constantly at ESPN, is Darren Woodson was one of my favorite dudes. And I'd be talking to him, and I'd go like, hey, this guy or this guy. Like, could you tell day one it wasn't going to work out after you drafted him? And Woodson would be like, day one. And those guys know. <laughs> you know, And I don't, yeah, I don't think yeah. Woodson was trying to be fun and tell a story here just because I'd like him. You know how it is. Those guys that played and you draft – you probably remember that. Drafting a player. Oh, dude. Th- okay, give me it. Go ahead. All right. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll, give, I'll give you two. Uh, the first one I, I don't feel bad about because I literally came to the Ravens uh, right after the Bowler-Suggs draft. So that was my first year there. So I got there right after the draft, and so I was there from the first minicamp on. And uh, we got out there the first day, and – we're in, uh, in one-on-ones, and Kyle Bowler looks like a pro bowler. Like, dude, you're like, holy crud. Like, this kid, he's got a hose. Um, he's, you know, he's athletic. But, man, the ball jumps out of his hand. We got something. Then we get to the seven-on-seven period. Not as good. Not, not quite as good. And we're like, ah, okay. That's, well, you know, we got, we'll just got some stuff to work on. All right, team, team period. Oh, boy, this is not good. Uh, the, more, the more guys that were put on the football field, the worse he got. 
he was a he was the classic definition of a thrower, not a quarterback. And uh, and that to me was you kind of knew early on. And there was another story with him too. We were playing. Uh, this was gosh a couple weeks into it, and at the old facility they had this bubble and they had a turf field in there and they had a hoop. And so me and uh, another personnel guy were we would go down there and, and hoop it. And uh, <laughs> Bowler was in there with Chris McAllister. And so if the by the way if Ozzy found out we were playing basketball with these guys we would have got killed because these you guys were, were screwed. Oh yeah, yeah. So so we're playing two on two and uh <laughs> so we get the ball first. I uh I uh I drive fake, shot fake, bowler takes the cheese and I go right by him and get a layup. When and we're playing winners, so get the ball back again. Uh drive fake, shot fake, he jumps again and I make a layup and I go back to my buddy who I'm playing with I'm like we're screwed. This, this this kid hasn't figured this out on the basketball court. That doesn't that doesn't bode well for the football field. <laughs> Oh my God, that's such a good story. And by the way, when I jumped in and said, "Hey, you play," I know I want our listeners to understand. Like that made it sound like I know you played college football. So, um, like I'm, I was, I was expecting you to compete, but you felt because he couldn't read the same drive twice. Yeah, he was going yes, like, to have a hard time. Like, I'm with... not. Yeah, I mean, I was a good <laughs> high school basketball player, but there's not. I, I did not have a, a drawer full of, uh, of moves there, right? Like it's, it's we're going to keep it pretty simple here. The standards, the basics, and he was. Uh, not picking up on that. So uh, that that was the one one story. Then when I was in Cleveland, and I had uh, look, I had some some blood on my hands for this one because I I believed in him. We we drafted tight end out of Missouri, uh, Rucker, and we took him in the fourth round. And they played. That was with Chase Kaufman and, and uh, Chase Daniel was the quarterback of that group. Yeah. And they just threw it all over the place. Jeremy Macklin. It was a fun it was a fun team to watch. Uh, but anyways, that Rucker and, and uh, we took him in the fourth round. And, uh, you know, I thought, okay, he's flexed out. He just catches a, catches a ton of balls down the seam. Now, they don't ask him to run a lot of option routes and different things in that system. But, you know, look, this guy can run. He's big. His brother's been a really good player with the Panthers. You know, feel good about it. And we get out there for the first minicamp practice, and uh, you just start running routes, and you just saw the stiffness kind of show up when we were asking him to run different routes that he hadn't run at, at Missouri. And it was like, like you go eat lunch after the morning practice and it's like nobody wants to talk to anybody like oh geez we missed on that one the route running thing is is always kind of funny to me that because you don't run routes like it's a, it's shocking to me how many guys can't learn how to run crisp routes like if they didn't have it and they get to run free all the time like some of the Baylor stuff where you just go yeah. all right whatever and then okay but you're a sick athlete you run a 4-4 you've been playing sports your whole life like with great coaching, you can't figure out how to like cut on a ten route. You, like you can't, you can't pay attention to the timing and, and making your cut at ten yards. You can't figure that out consistently, and, and guys can't. Like I guess that's no. always kind of blown my mind. That no, like there's there's far less guys that can run crisp routes or learn how to do it than you would ever think. That's why, to me, like the uh, you can get so enamored with the forty. Uh, at the receiver position and when you really go look at the top guys and when we just talked about Antonio Brown earlier I think he was four five seven um Hopkins was in the four fives uh you had Juju who's having some success now was in the four fives I believe last year I think Diggs was in the four fives like six or seven of the top 10 receivers in the league last year in terms of receiving yards ran in the four fives so you can get enamored with the four three stuff but Give me four or five that can get in and out of the break and can change speeds and is fluid and loose. Um, give me that guy every day of the week. 
Yeah, other than Julio, who ran a really great time for his size, and I think Odell, you're absolutely right. I was looking at it the other day, and you go, how – it's so much fun to run a, see a guy run a 4-3. Yeah. Very rarely does it mean that that's who the guys – you know, that, that just predicts success. You know how hard it is when you're running that fast to be able to gear down and get in and out? I mean, there's there's something to that. I mean, that's why guys like Odell and Julio are just rare, 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 rare freaks, you know, and, and – and the biggest freak of them all was, 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 was Calvin Johnson, you know, at that size, at that speed to be able to do what he did. It was just ridiculous. Okay. So let's talk a little draft. And I think to wrap up the Rosen thing there, though, that when I, those stories were awesome, by the way, that, that's great. Um, but if, if people are around Arizona going, you know what? These guys just don't respect him. There's 52 dudes looking at him going, nope, absolutely not. And I'm not talking about arm. I'm not talking about, you know, some of the stuff that I do like from him. But if he is this guy that's this just, bad personality that doesn't mesh with people that's the part that i'm deferring on because i'm not around it i just i don't know and i know some people just strongly believe that's his biggest issue more than anything else so yeah and that's and and look if you're not in the building then uh it's tough to it's tough to get a feel on that so and i always tell people you know sometimes you have guys that you miss on in the draft process from the outside and a big component of that is, look, look, you watch a guy on tape, it might be great. You're not, you're not making it up. Like what you see is what you see. But this guy might have some real, you know, sometimes it's like some, some personal demons that these guys have you don't know about. You know, the guys inside the league get that information and that they factor that in. Um, but, you know, personality wise, leadership, interacting with your teammates, that stuff does matter. It's not hokey. It does matter. And, um, it's just hard to get that information without being on the inside. Okay, some of the guys in this year's draft. Give me your hardest evaluation in the first round, guys. Oh, non-quarterback. Okay, yeah, I'll take Greedy Williams is tough for me. LSU uh, defensive back, LSU corner, who's you know he's tall, he's he's long, he ran in the four threes, uh, very athletic. And uh, you go back last year um, in the in the uh, twenty seventeen season, you'll see him make a bunch of plays in the ball. This year. He got uh, he gave up some plays. I don't really see the the short area quickness, so you see some separation uh, when you're studying him. And then he just is totally uninterested in the run game, which maybe again ten years ago you would uh, like, hey, we pay you to cover, don't worry about it. Um, now with as many you know bubble screens, tunnel screens, fly sweeps, your corners have to be force players, and you got to be able. I don't you look, you don't have to drill dudes but you got to just get them on the ground you can't just be content to hang on blocks and, and not even get involved so uh, that to me was a little bit of my concern with him uh, but again he's one of those ones where five years from now if he's told me that he was you know one of the best dudes in the league because he's got some really really intriguing skills it wouldn't shock me or if uh, if he had been a disappointment it wouldn't shock me so he's one that i uh, that i have a difficult time with do you put value on kind of the family tree of, of different programs with different stuff where the defensive backs from LSU, that seems to be a win across the board. Yeah. Where, you know, remember back in the day we used to have that run of Big Ten running backs that were just atrocious. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, then it became, well, no one ever wanted anyone to draft a Big Ten running back. And then I'll look at that and be like, well, that just seems stupid that you're going to write off a position from a conference forever. Um, there's different quarterback trees that you go, you know what, I want to stay away from that. How have you ever bought into those? I've heard them. I've heard that sold in the draft room before. You know, I've been in there when it's like, oh, here we go again. But I mean, you you go through it. You miss out on some great players when you do that. So 
I still think you need to look at these as individual cases. I remember for a long time, you know, you had the USC wide receiver stigma because you had Dwayne Jarrett, you had uh, Colbert, you had uh, Kerry Colbert. I thought Kerry Colbert was always. I don't know. Maybe I was. Maybe I'm soft and impressionable. I thought Kerry Colbert had an okay little run there. Go ahead. <laughs> but not, <laughs> not to where he was picked. Not to where he was. Picked. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, you're uh, right. You're right about that. Mike Williams. Like, Mike Williams was probably the poster child there. Um, and then all of a sudden now it's like, man, okay, you've seen Aguilar's had a nice little run there with Philadelphia. Juju's doing his thing. Um, you know, it's Robert been, uh, Woods Robert has always Woods. been my favorite of all of them. Yeah, I mean, I, watching yeah, him run routes a, in college was my—I loved him. So, yeah, he is such a clean route runner, um, and he's been really good. So now they've had a nice little run uh, of these wideouts. So, yeah, I think you can get in some trouble. With that one thing that you know, from a positive side, that I've continued to buy in, uh, especially as kind of the, the college game has changed. Offensive linemen from the uh, – if you've put the Big Ten and then included Notre Dame, uh, those schools have a pretty good track record as of late with offensive linemen. Now, and you're not even – there's some premier guys, but very few uh, very few that just totally you whiff on. You know, they've been good, good players. So uh, that's something I put a stock in. You've started 40 games at Wisconsin, even if you maybe lack some, um, some physical traits that you'd like to see. Uh, those guys, they find a way, they stick, and they play. Okay, we're going to wrap up here soon. So I have one more question. We'll do some rapid fires, all right? Yep. Everyone, the consensus seems to be Bosa over Quinn and Williams all the time. I'm not arguing against it. I'm just wondering if for Quinn and he loses the coin toss on those two, unless to you there's a bigger gap, so feel free to plug in this answer wherever you want to. But if that it's just – there's less from Quinn and also kind of some of the concerns about how dedicated he was in consistency up until this year where he decided, you know what, I'm going to dominate. Yeah, I mean, there's so many guys in this draft where you have, you know, one year of, of production uh, or, or, you know, one year kind of an outlier year. Josh Allen's another one where this year really spiked. You know, Bosa had the injury this year, so you, there's that. And then with Quinn, it was this year. Um, so there, there's several guys like that, but I ended up, Grade-wise, they're very, there's very little separating uh, Bosa and Quinn Williams. Uh, to me, I think Bosa is just a little bit more polished with his hands. Uh, and, you know, look, doing the Charger games all year long and seeing his brother every single week and seeing when he's healthy, the impact that he has in this guy, uh, why he's not as big as Joey, he has that same exact toolkit. Uh, to get after quarterbacks. So uh, I feel like that does help him. The name does help him a little bit. Um, but to me, they're very similarly graded. If you if you were set with a couple edge rushers, I wouldn't hesitate at all to turn in the card with Quinn Williams, number one. He's he's that good of a player. Okay. All right. Rapid fire. You ready? Yep. Five. Um, give me the pick that people in the room or over the year of, of scouting, give me the guy that you were right about all along when people doubted you or doubted the player. Oh, gosh. Um, we had we were a little bit split on Haloti Nada. So, oh, that's a good uh, one. The only one that was fighting for him, but we were a little bit split. So that was uh, that was a good one. What's the biggest argument you've had in a draft room on draft day? Oh man, I wasn't the biggest argument I ever saw that I, I wasn't that's personally fine. involved in. So I'm kind of getting around it here. I, don't, I look, I've never really. <laughs> I You're not a yeller. Raise my voice in there. I'm not a screamer, man. I'm not. I'm, I'm here to keep peace. Uh, but we had we had one year uh, in Baltimore 
where we needed a safety opposite of Ed. I think we had just lost, we just lost uh, Demps in free agency, uh, but we needed a safety. And our board, the way it stacked, we just we, we had higher rated players at other positions. And so uh, Rex Rex came in and lost his mind because we hadn't taken a safety through like the first three or four rounds. Um, and the only one we had left was uh, Dewan Landry, if you remember him. So it was LaRon Landry, you know, with the enormous physique out of LSU. Are you kidding me? Brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so his brother Dewan Landry is at Georgia Tech, I believe. And so we ended up picking him in like the fifth round and Rex, like he took the card off the wall and like, he was not, he was not happy to put it that way. And it got pretty intense. And the, the sweet irony of it is, is he started for several years, like became one of Rex's favorite players. He goes to the Jets, he signs them with the Jets. <laughs> uh, so from where that all started to where it ended was pretty funny. All right. Give me your best, uh, best Rex story. Um, he had all these little things uh, that were fun. I mean, we we had a player. I don't remember who it was, but he had some some character concerns, and uh, he was in the room, and we were talking about do we keep him on the board or do we move on? And he said, <laughs> we got kind of quiet, and Rex said, uh, "Look, guys, we got a lot of ants around here. We can carry a couple cockroaches." <laughs> That's good. That is good. Okay, give me the give me the player that. You're embarrassed to admit now on this podcast because I have I have a couple um, in the NBA, but a player that you go, I can't believe I like this guy. Oh gosh, that's a long. That'd be like an hour podcast. Give me the uh, one that stings the one. most. Yeah. Oh gosh, the one that stings the most. Hmm. Well, I mean, I would go all the way back to when I was not in the media and the scouting side of things. I thought, dude, I thought Aaron Curry was going to be like 10-year <laughs> all-pro out of Wake Forest. I thought he was going to be awesome. He did yeah, wasn't nothing. he really good his first year, too? I don't remember. I don't remember I any think of the he had, I just What was he? Did he go four? But I, look, I remember... Seattle, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking it up now. I think it was this thing, man, where he... Yeah, he was the fourth pick in 2009. I thought his first year was good, and then it just was a disaster. No, it was wow. not good, buddy. And that was the whole draft. In the fun, I was, I did all those linebackers that year. So that was the USC year. So you had uh, uh, Cushing and uh, Maluga and uh, and Clay and all those guys. And uh, and and I liked those guys. But I thought I remember I remember distinctly being in the draft room. You know, look this. We'll look back, and it'll be Aaron Curry. He'll be the he'll be the dude. So look at this. This is crazy too. I just looked it up again. We're ten years ago. And boy, did the winners win, or excuse me, did the owners win? Like it was kind of Freudian slip to call them the winners. Sixty million, thirty-four <laughs> guaranteed, thirty-four guaranteed. Ten years ago for the fourth pick, and the wow. first pick won't get that now. And of course, no. sound. You know what's great is like that's always those terrific public, like the court of public appeals wins. Where it's like, yeah, of course, stop giving the rookies these unproven guys all this money, and let's give it to the vets. And then it's like, actually, no, we're just going to keep signing younger players, and the league's going to be younger, and it's not going to move around that way as much, unless it's the top top guys. But yeah, that's that's amazing. Ten years ago, Aaron Curry got thirty four million guaranteed. Wow, As the ten years ago, I still that still keeps me up at night. That was not a good one. Yeah, he. Just, I'm going through it quick, so I don't remember this. I mean, maybe the tape is terrible, but they played him that whole first two years, and then KJ Wright ended up dumping him. Okay, final one, rapid yeah. fire. Were you scared of Jamal Lewis when you first started with the Ravens? Um, yes, yes. Okay, because because 
I can remember one when I first got there at training camp as the young guy, I had to do weigh-ins. So, uh, you know, players walk by every morning, get on the scale, write down, weigh them in, weigh them out. And that was my job to do with the, with the notepad. And, uh, so, hey, guy come walking by, hey, you know, you need to weigh in. Don't forget to weigh in. Walk over there. They maybe give you a dirty look or something. Um, but every single day, Ray Lewis and Jamal Lewis would walk right by me and say 245. And I just wrote it down. Yep. All that right. Hey, for me. Yeah, no doubt. You can follow him at Move the Sticks, Daniel Jeremiah. Terrific, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ryan. We'll review A Star is Born here, so spoiler alert. But before we do that, if you have fancy things to go to, like A Star is Born premiere or a Grammy win, get it? You get it if you've seen the movie. Weddings can have 99 problems, but the groom's look shouldn't be one of them. That's why our friends at theblacktux.com design rental suits and tuxedos that you love wearing at your wedding. So if you end up getting featured on a list of 23 epic wedding fails for your reception table catching on fire or your DJ playing, let's get it on during the father-daughter dance. At least you know you look good for your close-up. You get, hey, what was the father-daughter dance for you guys? Uh, what was it? It was like a, a Fogarty song. I forget what it was. This is probably bad. Anyway, sorry. You don't know. It's a, it's a, is it, yeah, it's a, it's a Fogarty song, but I forget what the title is because it's not like a well-known one. I think it's called, oh, yeah, you know what it was? It was I Will Walk With You. That's what it was. B-Sides. That's what it was. Yep. That's pretty we're not, cool. I'm going to start thinking. No, not you guys. I'm going to start thinking about what kind of song I want to have my wife get dance to, I guess. That was, that phrasing came out wrong. <laughs> Whoa. What I really love about the Black Tux is they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it one last time. Talk about commitment. Over 5,000 five-star reviews across Wedding Wire, the Knot, and their website agree, you won't find a rental experience or designs like the ones you'll find at Black Tux. Here's the deal. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, rent your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy $20 off with code Ryan. R-Y-E-N. That's theblacktux.com, code Ryan. For $20 off your purchase, the Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. So before we say goodbye, uh, I, I like to do a little movie stuff. I know that off-white. Do you own any off-white sneakers? I don't know what you mean by that. Like, what you don't it? know about off-white Nikes or I, off-white the Virgil, I don't the, the designer. Think so. I mean, you're not into fashion. I mean, I, I I just bought a new pair of Kill Shots, Nike Kill Shots. If uh, you know what that is, those are kind of off-white. Mm, I don't know we're what, on. But I don't know. Wow, you, this is this is amazing because normally, you know, once every six months or so, I do something where I sound incredibly old, and you're the young guy that's supposed to save me, Mo Bamba. But I'm not a sneaker but, guy, so this is this is I don't know what this means. You don't know anything about fashion, is what you're telling. You're yourself. right. I don't know anything. I was going to do a whole fashion pod. I was thinking about doing it. Um, but is because that- it's just, there's just some looks I'm thinking about getting out of. So I don't even, I can't even do this with you right now. Well, I, 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 don't even, a- I want to know what it is. What am I missing? Like, it's wh- this designer who decided to do these collabs with Nike and he started making these Nikes, but he started making them in the way his vision. Okay. And it's kind of like deconstructed and, um, you're gonna have to Google it, man. Uh, I don't know. I can't believe you don't know anything about this. So they're really hard to get. Like you can't just buy them anywhere, right? So they launch them on the app, and everybody loses. You can buy them in the aftermarket. StockX, StockX is terrific. You go to Stadium Goods. I stayed near Stadium Goods when I was in Soho, 
and it's just a free for all. I wish I could invest in that store. Um, although then again, I feel like maybe this this bubble's happening here. So you can't. It's really hard to get these shoes. So oh, yeah, I, I have them up. Like they're like right. at minimum two hundred bucks a shoe. Mm, two hundred. What are you talking about? Mm. Uh, well, this maybe the worst. One. Two, eh, yeah, actually, you know the what? Jordans. They go. There's there's different versions of the Jordan. The Jordan One where they're three grand. Yep, there's a Jordan One Retro High Off White. It's uh, thirty two hundred bucks. Right there, you go. There you go. So they've done the ninety Air Maxes. They've done the Vapor Maxes. So I originally always wanted one pair, and then I ended up not. I don't know. I have a few pairs. I haven't worn any of them. Whoa, the Nike and, Blazer Mid. Have you seen those? Uh, yeah, those yeah, are the, awesome. The black one or the Halloween? The, the one? white one. Although I see the Halloween one too. The Halloween one I sold. I I knew and I knew like initially. Chucks. Yeah, they do kind of look like Chucks. I can't tell right now if this is – this might be bad content. Could be. This yeah. might be really bad. I think because there's a lot of – if you didn't know it, then now I, I may have to pivot. I may have to pivot. I'm not a sneaker guy, so that's, don't don't judge this on me. Yeah, I think I'm going to stop – I'm I'm com- contemplating not being a sneaker guy because I think now it's too overdone. I may go back to high end. So that's just that's just a statement. That's yeah. just a statement. I was looking at some Zenia loafers. I, I may go no socks. Those – I feel like I'm dressed to go to the gym for 30 years now, you know, because for the most part, if I'm not at work or I don't have to do something, I've I'm wearing sweatpants right now. By the way, so there you go. Um, just nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I, I don't even know what this is. I wouldn't even definitely don't put this in the title. I think is the <laughs> safe way to avoid it for the for the, uh, for the podcast. Okay, Star is Born. Always wanted to see it. Do like Bradley Cooper, despite what you were saying, but it just feels. Maybe the stuff I write goes too slow. This feels like it goes really fast. It was good, but when there was this, oh, it's picture of the year, I go, man, it must be epic. And then there was this backlash to it later on where it didn't have the same flow, and then it became, is it even a good movie? You know what I mean? That's when the world turns on you, when Esquire writes, is A Star is Born even good? Is it a movie or is it just a soundtrack? You know, and you're like, oh, what a zinger of a headline there. Esquire wins again. Um I thought it was a good watch, but I don't think I'll ever watch it again. And I just felt like Gaga's character, just out of nowhere, boom, she's the biggest deal ever. And I don't know. Well, I'm looking at it. You know, it's two hours and 14 minutes. Which was is, it really? Which is, you know, long, I guess. Not not too long. So maybe they had to speed up because if, if it was any longer than that, like you're kind of starting to lose people, right? I did notice that it was fast, but I just felt like they had to do that because there was a lot in the movie. Plus, I didn't. Doubt, I never doubted that she was a star. You know what I mean? I know they skipped. Through you believed that. in her from the beginning? No, but like obviously that's the point of the movie. So like just because you didn't show me her entire come up doesn't mean that I don't believe she's a star. What was her she, name? I forget her name. Uh, Allie. Allie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her. What was it? Uh, orange hair. Mm. Orange hair. Very orange. It's weird seeing Gaga not with like without a ton of makeup on. That always kind of yep. throws you off. Like yep. she actually like looks normal. She's done such a great job with this image over the years of almost being this mythical thing. And then I thought she was terrific in it. I don't know what LT was. I don't think Bradley Cooper was bad. It just was he was kind of being this understated dude. And if you're drunk all the time, you're not. I'd imagine to play that kind of character, like that's the whole point. He's just sort of red faced. Yeah. He was the he was a subdued. just a massive stereotype. He was always drunk. He had that voice. His name was Jackson Maine. Like he was just <laughs> a perfect. That's if you that's the perfect character of who he was supposed to be. Um, here's the thing that I, a lot of people debated. 
Is he a good singer? Okay, great question. Great question. Um, he's good enough to make it work, actually. But when he did the Gaga thing at, at the Oscars... Yeah, it was that's, steamy. It was. Oh, my God. I can't believe two actors <laughs> sat People next think to it was other. real. People think it's real. They sat next to each other. And it, two actors that are pretty good actors were able to convince an audience that they were into each other. <laughs> That's amazing. Has that ever even happened before? Has there ever been a movie where two people who aren't remote romantically involved appeared to be? Because that has to be a first. I'm doing Ron Burgundy right now. Um, that, yeah, that part, people were kind of losing their mind, like feeling bad for his girl, like Bradley Cooper's real life girl. Like, oh my God, she must want to kill herself. <laughs> like, or, or she, I don't know. Did you think it was real? No. Not for one second, but I know a ton of people that do. Because, like, you know, they're playing the piano, they're singing together, you see it in real life, it's not, like, in the movie, and you're like, whoa. Because there had been rumors forever that they're, you know, because they were just always so likable together. Magical. And, listen, I, I'm not saying that that little duet there, at you know, wasn't, steamy. there wasn't something there, but yeah, you I don't think Brad, yeah, I don't think Bradley Cooper, I think Brad, he's all right, trust me. Oh, so he doesn't, yeah. I'm sure she right. is too. I just, you know, they, they did a good job acting who they were in the movie in real life. And that was basically a, like a, a performance anyway. It was a performance. Yeah, that was the whole point of the thing. I don't even know, like the shallow lyrics pretty, I guess maybe when they're in the grocery store parking lot and she's just all of a sudden belting out the next biggest hit. But maybe <laughs> that's just the way it works, man. Maybe, I know I'm not a singer by trade. Uh, so maybe, you know, just there's, there's a lot of music going on there. Um, is he a good singer? I think he was good enough. I think he kind of pulled it off. I think if you have a certain voice, you could take, you know, vocal lessons. And I think it's kind of cool that he pulled it off enough. But I don't think when he was doing that performance of the Oscars, I'm going, this guy's, this isn't Harry Connick Jr. Red light, blue light. You know, this isn't Buble. Of course it's not Buble. Come on. Right. See, Harry Connick, man, you don't even know what you're missing. Recipe for making love. Why don't you throw that one on one night, cooking some pasta at home for your lady? What's up? Yeah, you know it's a remake too, right? I didn't. So I knew it was a remake. I didn't even know it was the remake of a remake. Yeah, how about that? I mean, this is this mind blowing or it not? Really, like House was. Party Three? Well, because I was wondering. Obviously, I don't want to. You know, if anyone hasn't seen it, I'm not going to spoil the end. No, this is too late. It's too. Do you think late, so? Yeah. All right. So yeah, when, yeah, when he we've, we've given the warnings when he uh you know when he commits suicide, I was like I was did, did that happen in the first two? Because that seems really risque for something that for a movie that came out in the twenties. Are you saying that people didn't kill themselves in movies back then? I just feel like it was less. You know what I mean? Like there, I, that. Yeah, I, I actually one, am right? kind of saying that. Yeah, like I was surprised. I'm like, damn. Like, did, or or they just or, or is this a, their take on the A Star Is Born? Like, you know, is there's now an A Star Is Born universe? By the way, to uh, to bring this first full circle, there's three different movies about this guy. Who played it? Because it was Barbara Streisand and and who? Christopherson. That's right. Who has like the most amazing name ever? Didn't see Chris that. Christopherson. It's a ridiculous name. I want to name like I want a kid only to name him that. Ryan. Chris. Christopherson Rosillo. And they'd be like, "You big Christopherson guy?" And be like, mm, "Not really. I just like the name Chris. I'm more of a James Taylor dude myself." Um, I guess a, I don't know. You know, Wikipedia. You're never quite sure, but apparently the first time they were going to do it. It was going to be directed by Eastwood, and this is seven, eight years ago, and it was going to be Beyonce. So maybe this story is about Jay-Z and Beyonce. You know what I thought would be kind of funny? Because we're doing a Ringer short film. We're we're doing it next uh, 
next week. It's not, I don't even know if it's a short, whatever you would call it. I wrote it. I'm sort of directing it, I guess. But I mean, trust me on this. This is your big break in film. Yeah, this is going to be really like I've already oversold it, okay? And I started trying to think of a different one, and I thought it'd be kind of funny to screw with the whole premise cuz like when he's just right, he's he's in the back of the car, he's just got done with a show, and how come he can't have a friend? Is everybody just sick of him being drunk all the time? So then it's like, "Hey, we just take care of him, so it's not even a big deal." So he's in the back of the car and he's like, "I'm going to take it right up there." He's doing a little bit of uh Billy Bob Thornton too, yep. which uh, which I didn't like it kind of dawned on me quickly, and then he's in the bar, like, "Hey, I don't think this is your kind of bar," because it's a drag queen show. And he's like, "You guys serve serve alcohol in here?" No, it's my kind of bar. So he goes in gin, by the way. Ugh, jeez, the cousin of kerosene. Um, he's drinking his gin. He did. I think he threw a lime in there, though, which surprised me a little bit for a guy who's uh, portraying an alcoholic. I got to double check that. I probably am not going to, but I think he wasn't afraid to throw a little lime in there, a little lime wedge. And then Gaga's out there, and she kills it because she's awesome. So that part of it was terrific. Yeah, the and then he's just like, right, yeah. right? He's like, all right, we're gonna party all night and go to a cop bar. And I think for the next Ringer short, I want to do a thing where I show up and I go to a bar, and there's this girl who just has fire takes. <laughs> she's like, I trade LeBron right now for the Knicks pick. <laughs> and 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 maybe a drag queen's like, hey, are you in the right place? Like, eh, you guys get. You guys get Coors Light, and then, uh, <laughs> then so she's just up there, and she's like, and I'm not even sure if I would start building my team with a quarterback. I think I'd build with the tackles first and take a QB in the fourth round. And I'm just like, oh my god, these takes are amazing. They're absolutely on fire. And then I go backstage, and she's like, what are you here for? And I'm like, huh? What was that? Be like, why are you here, huh? And then she just she. She starts. I start like showing up to get up with her, and then I go and get up, and I'm like, "This is my friend." Yeah, you just wave her on. Greeny's <laughs> Green has a surprise <laughs> for you, and you just wave this chick. Like, on. no, hey, hey, <laughs> say that thing about the tackles. <laughs> say no, no, I love you. You got to trust me. Just tell Greeny that thing about the tackles in the quarterback in the fourth. You'll be great. You're gonna be. What was that? You're gonna be great. So I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start outlining that. I'm not it. quite sure how to. I'm not quite sure how to end it. I think me killing myself after her takes are better than mine would be a little are you dramatic. Pee yourself for a on get up too. Is that what's gonna happen? <laughs> Pull a Freddie Rumson on on uh, on first take. Uh, like, hey, did you win? <laughs> hey, look at that. I wanted for the the people that haven't seen it. You, we've ruined the movie for you. Um, or you can just go watch it and, and form your own opinion. I liked it, but I, for some weird reason, get really caught up in the almost political uh, momentum of movies that are going to be best picture. So there'll be all of the support for something, and then everybody's off it, and then it's kind of something else. And now that I've seen it, I'm totally okay with it not winning best picture, even though I liked it. What won best picture? I forget. I can't believe I already forgot. Uh, oh, it was the green, the green light, or something. oh, the green book, green whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's how good of a movie it was. That's uh, uh, I'll see that though at some point. Like I'll want to see iTunes movies had a really cool thing where they sorted every single greatest picture going back to the beginning of when the award started, and I was I went through and watched every preview, so I have it nailed. I've seen every movie. Um, 
No, but there's some that I go back and be like, all right, I, I do want to see this. I don't even know that cares. It's, that's not even. It's not like that cool, where I read that all the heavyweight books for. You know, as much as I can. I think that's kind of a cool thing. That could be like a podcast where you just have this series where you have the writer on where you talk about his book on, you know, do the Jack Johnson one, do the Jack Dempsey one, do the Floyd Patterson, do Tyson. Like that could be a series of podcasts that I think would be awesome. The best picture thing, I don't know. I don't know if it would be. But what else was nominated? Like I still think First Man got screwed. See, I didn't love that. Whoa, I dude. know. Too and, slow for yeah, you. See, I like a slow. Of, a lot of people that I trusted were like, great movie, like underrated, isn't getting enough love. And, I'm, and I love Gosling and I love space. And so I'm like, okay, let's do this. I'm in. And I just thought it was really slow and kind of boring. And I don't think like the space scenes were even that cool. I think we just have to end the podcast, man. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I'm okay with slow, but if you don't think that that first scene is incredible, and then a couple of the other test scenes and the way they shot it, I don't know. And I mean, I'm, that's usually that's like my genre. Scenes. You love space. I do. I mean, Interstellar is one of my favorite space movies of all time. It probably is my favorite movie of all time. I just, I don't know. Yeah, I got nothing else to do today. Then, all right. Sorry, uh, my bad. Ruined it. Please subscribe to the Rosillo Show podcast, rate, review, all that stuff. And uh, all right, man, this is a good one today. All right, I'll do better next time.